Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, you're listening to The BIP Show. BIP is for business investing and policy. That's what we're here to talk about. I'm Paul Colgan, director at CT Group. I'm here with James Whelan, macro strategist and investment manager at VFS here in Sydney. How are you, James? Mate, fantastic as always. Uh, let's get after it today. Joining us on the line from Amsterdam is Ken Vexler, managing director and chief investment officer at Acumen Management. How are you, Ken? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Colga. I'm well. Uh, looking forward to having this chat and, uh, yeah, getting into it. It is going to be interesting. It has been a huge couple of weeks in financial markets uh, globally and in Australia. We had the results of the US election, uh, which we talked about last week with Larry Grossman. Uh, that was worth a small gain to equity markets really? around the world. What, <laughs> what, what happened? I haven't slept since Tuesday last week. Uh, yeah, but... but uh, well, that was on Thursday, Friday. And then on Monday, we got the news that a COVID vaccine uh, is looking very promising and bam, stocks, especially value stocks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which you probably, from the sound of that, James, you weren't holding enough of them. Keep talking, Paul. Uh, uh, rallied and bond markets sold off, sending interest rates soaring. Okay, now... Of course, just before that, there was a QE package from the RBA, uh, a raft of other measures, uh, including cutting the official cash rate to a record low 10 basis points. Uh, all of this is a very, very big change in the macro picture, or at least macro is one way of describing it. We might talk about whether macro means anything these days, but to talk about it all, our guest is someone who needs little introduction to people who follow Australian financial markets or indeed listen to The BIP Show. He was with us right for our second only episode earlier this year. It's Martin Wetton, Head of Fixed Income and FX Strategy at the Institutional Division of the Commonwealth Bank. Uh, Marty, welcome back to The BIP Show. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Marty, let's start with the big dogs. Uh, U.S. 10-year uh, yield uh, this week uh, popped something like 20 basis points uh, after the vaccine news. Um, can you talk us through that move uh, and what else has happened in, in major government bonds? Uh, and I think after that I might put you in Ken's capable hands. Sounds great. All right, thanks. So 10 years. 10 years. And uh, hi, listeners. Um, it's certainly been an, a really interesting week for the fixed income with interest rate markets um, this week. Uh, like you said, the RBA has, is fresh from delivering a, a rate cut or a number of rate cuts, a QE package. You've got a, um, a weakening uh, outlook for Europe and the UK and obviously a a spike in the um, COVID cases in the US, but then suddenly along comes a potential cure for vaccine and all of the very crowded positioning, the views of the market that, that central banks will just inject liquidity for a long, long time to come and they won't be hiking rates is out the door pretty quickly uh, with a very sharp spike in bond yields. And uh, it's a, it, was a, it was a pretty nasty move for developed markets. Australia, New Zealand, the US, Canada really uh, took a big hit. There's a bit of a pareback today, but it has really flipped people to the other side of the boat in their thinking. 
Yeah, super quick. So one uh, quick thing before I hand you over to Ken, right? So something that probably a lot of our listeners are familiar with uh, on the equity side is a short squeeze. Mm. Um, so um, a stock that everybody that enough people think are going to go down starts going up. They need to start buying that that stock back, uh, and it drives the price up very very rapidly. Um, does the same thing happen in yields in or in bonds in reverse? Yeah, well, you can have it um, both ways, I suppose. You can have a short squeeze in bonds where people are short and they have to buy. But in this instance, um, we were fairly conditioned by the central banks to say they're not moving anywhere. Certainly here in Australia, there's a, a, pl- a promise, of, as if you like, of three years of we're not going to be hiking rates because we need to hit an inflation and a growth target. And no one around the world is hitting that. So we knew that central banks were going to be having our backs uh, as far as protecting the bond market. Central banks would buy the debt from the governments, not directly, of course, because they they don't want to be seen to be doing that. But uh, we've had, I guess, a long squeeze where the positioning was very long in interest rate markets, or bonds particularly, and everyone has tried to sell them, get out of that door uh, at the same time. It's a narrow door and, uh, you, you know, you saw the very quick reaction to it. Um, so I'm going to hand you over to Ken. Uh, we have had um, some uh, fascinating questions from some BIP show listeners uh, through Twitter, which I might put to you at the end. Uh, but Ken, uh, I know uh, you will have uh, a lot of things to chew the fat with, uh, Marty, over. So over to you, mate. Thank you, Colgo and Marty. Thanks. Uh, well, welcome and thanks for coming on. It's, it's good to have you on. Um, a couple of things, I suppose, broadly speaking, I'd like to you know, chat to you about over the course of the next, I don't know, however long. On the one side, uh, you know, what we started off with uh, Australia and then uh, have that as, an, you know, as, as the main feature, as it were, and then we'll maybe try and look at the global perspective on things. So, you know, let's look at the RBA and, and point blank, in your opinion, has the RBA done the right thing in terms of what they did last week? Uh, they'll argue that they have, and and I guess if any, we're not asking them. <laughs> if there's any um, way that you can lower the cost of anyone's funding, it is always helpful. It does improve cash flow. What we argued for for a long time was the information we saw in our own balance sheet at CBA, with the very large transaction base that we see, is and feedback really from borrowers too was that lowering rates wasn't really going to give them an extra stimulus. It wasn't going to encourage anyone to borrow money uh, or more money perhaps. And the evidence from offshore is that Japan and Europe where they've had low rates for a long period of time has not really driven that. So we, we didn't think it was a valuable thing to do. From their perspective, the way they, I guess, framed it was twofold. Um, Governor Lowe referred to Australian government bonds, the 10 years specifically, being higher in yield than comparable bonds around the world. Well, that's because we need about uh, 55% of our market to be funded from offshore. Japan is somewhere where they only need about 2%. So uh, for Australia, we need to attract buyers. Now, the upshot of that is there might be some currency buying, but I'm very sceptical on that point because the Australian dollar is the fourth most traded currency pair in the world, which is astounding to think of. And it's not because of our trade with the rest of the world, which is typically what you think of in exchange rates. It's because we're a big speculative currency. Uh, If you're an equity investor, you might think of your your long equities. You can long the Australian dollar. They are the sort of uh, risk trades that work. Um, It's a bridge bridge over time zones too, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you're short China, well, you should be short the Aussie dollar. Yeah. 
Uh, and so the amount of transactions that take place in terms of foreigners buying Australian dollar bonds and buying the currency on a market that trades about $120 billion per day in the currency, there's no way that there's even $10 billion or perhaps even $5 billion per day. So it's, it's a weak argument in, in our view. Um, what they would argue, though, is that over a longer period of time, if our bonds look less attractive then there'll be fewer foreigners buying our bonds. <laughs> that means that <laughs> when, you've got a, when you've got a, a large issuance program like the AOFM, as the government borrow does, $240 billion for this oh. current financial year, someone's got to buy them. And so that mm-hmm. means that the RBA has to step up. Now, the second part of their argument is that the currency would weaken uh, if you lower the rate structure in Australia and therefore, you know, we're not as attractive um, a proposition. But... You know, there's two sides to a currency. There's the, well, in our case, there's the Aussie dollar side. Yes, weaker mm. uh, interest rates. But then there's the US dollar side, which is weakening for its own reasons. And you can't fight that one. That's a bigger, uh, that's a bigger market. Yeah, it's just slightly bigger than ours in that one. Just slightly. Yeah. So it's, uh, mm-hmm. we've, got the, we've got a balance of payments that's moving into surplus because we've, uh, we're exporting more of, to the rest of the world, notwithstanding the, the drop in some of the soft commodities to China. Um and we own more of the rest of the world than we used to because of our fourth largest pension fund in the world, which is having to diversify into foreign assets. So we get this income stream from offshore and that props up mm. the Aussie dollar. So um, it's pretty hard to fight it. I mean, look, they, did they do the right thing to answer your question? They did for the reasons that they think is uh, are, uh, um, are applicable. Are yep. And yes, yeah, there will yeah. be a lower funding cost. But if you look at what the banks did, and um, that is they lowered their fixed rate mortgages. Remember, fixed rates are only about 15% of Australia's borrowers. Mm. We're a floating rate market. And uh, no one passed on the floating rate uh, rate cut. So it didn't yeah. actually fix so, the cash sorry, flow. What, nobody passed it on? No, there, there was no, there was no uh, floating passed on. And, and even I think the fixed was out, you know, sort of down the curve, so it's not going to really impact them in, in the near term. But, I mean, so, so basically what I'm hearing is... Uh, you know, uh, they've ensured ease of supply, the RBA, but they have done absolutely bugger all in terms of stimulating the demand, which, you know, is ultimately, and I mean domestically, to take up that, that free money. They've done next to bugger all to, to generate any additional demand on that basis. But what you might so get, again, sorry? you may not get extra demand, although you are seeing a little bit of a pickup in lending, but what you could see is that asset prices go up. And I think specifically mm-hmm. there, when you think of Australia, you think of housing. Now, if housing goes yeah. up, and notwithstanding the hundred odd billion dollars of cash in deposit at the major at the, across the banking system right now, it might mean that mm. people spend some money if they're feeling better. And as confidence happens to have hit a seven year high prior to that release of the vaccine, perhaps yeah. your timing could be okay on that. But I'd go back okay. to what do we think of as the Aussie dollar? In an environment that things are getting better, you buy the Aussie dollar. It's a risk, definitely a risk on currency. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I mean, look, I, I think we, we've sort of covered off, you know, what, what impact, if any, at, at the margin that their actions may have had. But very quickly, I'm just curious, in your mind or in CBA's mind, I mean, did, did the RBA have any other real options available to them other than what they did? Uh, they could buy more bonds um, and perhaps lower the currency, lower the, um, the yield curve that way. But it's mm. a lot of bonds to buy. I think yeah. Yeah. Uh, it really comes down to the fiscal policies of the government and that's 
what they've probably done together hands. is encourage the states to borrow more money and you are seeing yeah. state budgets come out. They are borrowing a little bit more money. Um, I think the South Australian budget uh, today showed that intent. Um, whether or not uh, that's going to be enough, you'll find over a, a medium term. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Okay, so I'm curious, I mean... You and I sort of, we, we've known each other for a while and we chat back and forth every so often via WhatsApp and whatnot. So in the aftermath of last week, I mean, apparently there was some poxy election or something in the US. I don't know. I, I don't pay attention to this nonsense. But the RBA was the big thing. In the aftermath of that happening uh, and the decision to, to lower the cash rate and whatnot, uh, you and I spoke, and I was under the misapprehension. I, I want to get into the mechanics of, of what is now entailed. I was under the misapprehension uh, that... It was going to be a bug rather than a feature of the fact that now that the cash rate is sitting at 10 basis points, there will be occasions, not frequently, but occasionally, there will be instances where uh, the bank bill swap uh, rate uh, can print negative on an overnight basis sometimes. Um, I, as I said, when, when we spoke about it, I was under the impression that it was once in a blue moon it could happen depending on how the stars align. But as you, and, and I refer back to you because you know what you're talking about and I don't, rightly pointed out that this is likely to be a, a common occurrence rather than an uncommon occurrence. Can you run us through what, what's going on? So what you've had, and sorry for starting a sentence there with so, uh, what you've had in the um, uh, the, the RBA's cuts is there's, there's a bunch of rates that they now look at. There is the official cash rate at 10, which is 25 before. Nothing trades at 10. It's a, a sort of a penalty rate where you, if you don't have enough cash on the day as a bank, you pay 10 basis points for it. Um, actual cash trades at today five basis points, got as low as four. And that is a function of the exchange settlement balances. The exchange settlement balances are where the RBA buys cash or buys bonds from the banks, gives them cash in return. Now, they don't print money. They just do a wire transfer and it creates this uh, deposit with the banks. The banks then reinvest that. They are ideally lend it to companies, people, but if they can't lend it, because this is the whole demand story, if they can't lend it, they are effectively pushed into buying assets. Now, the, the flips, the good side for the RBA is that as you build those ES balances up towards uh, probably $150 billion is our reckoning or, or even higher, then the bonds get uh, the money goes back into bonds, pulls bond yields down, prices mm. up. Um, what we felt was that with the ES balance rate, which was cut to zero and lower than where we thought it was, we thought it would go to five, there were some others who thought one, but at zero it means if you have excess cash as a bank, you don't stick it with the RBA. You get paid nothing for it. So you may mm. as well invest it in anything above the rate of zero. And, and I think it's worth pointing out that a lot of the banks um, some time ago might have had something like tens of millions of dollars uh, in ES accounts overnight. But now it's much more than We would that. have had about a so, billion and a half per bank. And it was really just for extra settlement issues yep. and you minimised it because you got – if you had over a certain amount, the RBA charged you 25 basis points less oh, than that right. rate. Okay. Now we're at this lower bound where they can't charge you 25 less. They can just pay you nothing for it. Right. At least at 10, there was some incentive. 
Now at zero, you may as well stick it into something else, yeah, another so they're bond. Trying to move. So it, was it a design of the policy to move yes, money it, it out would, of out of those be. EOS? It's a bit like QE. When people say, well, "What does QE do?" Well, it, it takes you out of safe assets into out the risk curve, and so this is, a, I guess, a, another way of looking at that. It you are not incentivized to leave your money there. You're incentivized to buy bonds or lend the money. And by lowering the cost of our funding through the TFF rate, the term funding facility, where we borrow at 10 basis points for three years and we pledge assets against that, it's not as simple as that, um, then we, we have to you know, find another asset. We build these ES balances up. The, m- the more amount of money there is in this ES balance pot, it pushes the cash rate lower, not the official cash rate which stays at 10, but where cash transacts on a daily basis. We think that gets down to about two or three basis points. And as it does, BBSW, which has this bid offer spread, so the difference between where you buy and where you sell, uh, can probably move into negative territory on a, on a setting because the banks won't be transacting in BBSW, which is them issuing bank bills. They don't need to because they've got a billion, $100 billion in deposits, and they've got the TFF that they can withdraw if they need funding. So we can see it pushing below zero. And as you say, Ken, on a more regular basis than sort of once or twice. Um, now, what that means is that you're paying money away as a, from a bank to bank. For corporates and depositors, because there is a margin above BBSW and for a lot of financial instruments, whether it's a floating rate note bond issued by a bank or a corporate, the margin is enough, let's call it 20, 15, 20, 30 basis points, or even, that even, it goes even to positive. Even in this world where it get, it's getting so tight, where it's 10. Yeah, right? you're so, still positive yeah. on those. So it doesn't blow the system up too much or doesn't yeah. blow it up at all. It's just more if your interbank rates are at a negative how does that work against a lot of existing documentation? And, and let's just clarify. Um, so in terms of those ES balances, would it be uh, Australian banks only or are institutions or, or, like big no, It's, big it's mostly Australian banks. banks. There okay. are obviously foreign banks who have an account with the RBA. Um, so you have to be an ADI, deposit-taking yep. institution. Um, Foreign banks will have a fairly minimal amount of excess balances for two reasons. One, they don't get a lot of depositors putting money with Bank of America locally. Uh, they will with ANZ or CBA or someone. Um, and the um, they also won't own a lot of bonds that are taken from them by the RBA. So it's uh, uh, you know they don't get these huge balances. But effectively, the, the market's very long cash at the moment. It's, there's a lot of it around, and that's pushing the the price of cash down. I have questions, but Ken, uh, I'm going to let you go first, mate. Okay. Um, fair enough. I, okay. Well, yeah, I understand the, 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 the consequences, I suppose, of, of, of the mechanics of, of where we are at the moment. So that begs the next question or, or the next thought that I had was where do yield hunters go in Australia? So, I mean, let's say you're, you're an international I don't know, pension fund, whoever you may be, right, your real money or a serious leveraged account, and you're looking for yield and Australia's part of your mandate, uh, where do they go? What's attractive? Anything? Yeah, there's still attractive things, and, and I guess it goes to the question that David Scott asked on the Twitter, which was um, <laughs> misnomers around fixed income. And one yeah. is uh, yield versus return. So you can have a very low yield, but if the price of the bond moves oh. substantially, you can have a pretty decent return. Sure. So you've, you know, even in the... Um, I guess that 
uh, frothy period in 2018 when a lot of European government debt was very negative in yield, you could still make money selling it to someone who wanted to buy it at an even more negative yield and you got a very good return out of that. Um, you just don't hold that one to maturity when it's at a negative yield because you are losing on the, when you on get the capital. Yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah. get stung. And, that, and I suppose that was my you – know, I didn't, didn't get to it, but that was exactly what I was trying to intimate is, you know, do these yield hunters, do they park it and just click the coupons or are they actually punting it for price? Is, is there, Remind me what a coupon you know, is. We don't get them very much anymore. Yeah, I mean, coupon, this is the thing. You're getting a lot of the bonds maturing that had high coupons from, I guess, uh, issued around 20, 2006, seven, early 08 – and a lot of the bonds now are coming on from the government at 0. 0.25, 0. 0.5, 0. 0.75%. So very low. Mm. Uh, let, let's just go back. For those who are just tuning in and like trying to educate themselves about bonds, um, let's talk about the, the asset and the coupon. Yep, sure. Very quickly. Yeah, good. So bonds are a loan and they pay a fixed rate uh, a, of coupon or, or income per year. Um, depending on what jurisdiction you're in, it can be quarterly, it can be semi-annually or it can be annually. Um, and depending on what tax jurisdiction you're in, some of them are tax-free, some of them are not. In Australia, we have an income tax, um, so they're not a, an asset class that typically the retail person buys in Australia because it's not incentivised to do so. You buy equities because the dividends are franked, more or less, um, better asset class in that respect. Uh, bonds can issue between sort of one year and, uh, well, 100 years recently. I mean, you can get longer, but... Really, the, the bulk of bonds are issued around the five to ten year part of the curve. Um, in Australia, the government bond market or the government issues debt between um, – effectively issues it between about three and 30 years, but they have obviously shorter maturities that, have, that are close to maturity. And the average of where they issue their, the government debt's around the ten year part of the curve. Uh, and let's just – um, be clear with people, maturity means you get your money back. You get your money back with bonds, yeah. So that's why it's often seen as this defensive asset, a safe asset, because you get your capital back with a very uh, pretty minuscule return, whereas I guess with equities is you may not get your capital back, but, gee, you could get paid pretty well in the interim and you get the capital gain or loss by holding that. And then the coupon is? The coupon is the payment, the interest payment on the loan. In the same way as uh, you pay a coupon from borrowing um, money for a house, uh, for your mortgage, you're paying a coupon back to the bank who's lent you that money. So we understand what yield hunters look for, uh, as it were, in Australia. My question, and it's something I've been, because, well, I don't live there anymore and it's been so long since, uh, since I have, what, in your mind, over the medium to longer term, I mean, what's the bull case for Australia? Uh, where, where's, and, you know, how much of it is up to local or governmental authorities and how much is down to a broader global change in the overall environment? The bull case for Australia is that you've got a lot of cash um, in bank deposits, which has been a very defensive move by households into a recession. As that gets deployed... Um, where does it get deployed? You typically would move into the things that you know would make you money or have historically made you money. They're typically a, a real estate play in Australia. Um, it could be arable land. It could be just um, owning property in major capitals because that's been good. But obviously there's a caveat to that and that is that the um, uh, net migration to Australia is something that's slowed down very quickly this year to, to zero and probably will take a couple of years to, um, to come back fully. 
And, uh, you know, Peter Costello once said, have one for mum, one for dad and one for the family. One for the country. One for the country. Yeah, Yeah, sorry, you're right. Uh, And that's probably not as applicable now because living costs have gone up and, you know, the the demographics don't really suit that. What's doing that? Um, So the uh, other part of the bull case, I guess, is that state governments – we don't do – we don't manage our prosperity well, but we do manage our – our bad times well and I think the governments of all stripes in Australia have understood that um, once uh, we get into a corner we do spend our way out of that and it's not a bad thing that we do that. It doesn't matter that we're indebted because the cost of that money is extremely low. So if it means that they are building infrastructure that is productive infrastructure and useful infrastructure um, and there are opportunities taken and in my personal opinion I think a lot of that should be sort of uh, towards the energy sector, particularly the green energy sector, but yep. that's obviously something that is fought with political differences across the country. Uh, but they are opportunities for Australia. Now, another one would be onshoring our manufacturing and jobs. Um, if the, the last year is, or the last six months has shown us anything that there has been this split uh, politically around the world. Now, that may have changed with the Biden presidency, although, you know, people do say he could be just as tough with China as, as Trump, um, perhaps not as... Well, uh, he's expected to be. He's yeah. expected to be, perhaps yeah. not as... Um, we have notes to... Wheel, we're going to wheel around to this, mate. Keep yeah, going. Uh, yep, 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 yep. Rumbuctious, but... Um, wow. Good word, we don't use that often enough. That could actually create uh, employment in Australia if we were onshoring some of our manufacturing. So mm. there are opportunities there, um, but you don't just turn on uh, a factory, these things take planning, t- uh, land acquisition, and they, they could be a couple of years away. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so, I mean, if I've understood correctly, a lot of it, rather than relying on a, on a broader global you know, picture, uh, comes down to the government getting its act together, which I'm a major seller of uh, that happening, but that, that's just me. Um, it's just because exactly that the the infrastructure and all the planning that needs to go into it needs somebody to be able to look past their own nose and not just down it and uh, unfortunately I'm not sure that the current uh, administration in Australia is capable of of doing that but I'm editorialising here and I'll (laughs) move swiftly on Um, yes now uh, so that that takes care of Australia as it were for now so I, I just I want to turn I suppose to you know, macro, and I hasten to, to put air inverted commas around it because, well, I'll explain to you in a minute. I, I just want to run past you, Marty, something that, you know, I've personally uh, long held uh, to be true, and I, and I want to get your opinion on it. Maybe we can, you know, sort of have a chat around it. I mean, it's very likely that this is a naive take from me, but I've long believed that, broadly speaking, the market as a whole, irrespective of asset class, uh, is, is broadly a punter's market. So if you're real money, if you're a pension fund or anything of that ilk, um, you generally set your portfolio uh, and, and you sit on hands and occasionally you tweak it just to make sure that the balances are correct. And otherwise, you pretty much sit on your hands and do three-fifths of bugger all, right? Manage the currency risk if you're globally diversified, maybe. If your mandate uh, and your risk manager, for example, allows for it, then quite frankly, you just go out and punt. Uh, Otherwise, to my mind, you might as well just go buy some trackers and go fishing. Uh, To justify the methodology post-fact is is probably just best safe for marketing and pitch decks. So as far as I'm concerned, macro as as I knew it, as probably you knew it, is all but dead, right? It's there in name. You either punt or you don't. And the asset class of choice 
being the sole discriminator of whether you're macro or not. What's your take? It's a pretty good summary. Um, I think the larger your portfolio, whether it's equities or bonds, um, although I'd say this is particularly the case with fixed income bonds, is um, how do you outperform your benchmark you really need to have a very solid trade that gets the duration, the spread call right, um, the curve shape right. And that's a pretty hard thing to get right all the time or consistently and do it to such a degree that it really tilts your portfolio in a big way for, for great performance. Most funds, I wouldn't say they all think alike, but there is obviously a an element of groupthink or an element of um, – Everyone either being educated the same way or talking to the same strategists or talking to this or seeing the same information and having it right. It's not like, uh, for example, everyone was short rates going into the November RBA meeting and one lot was right. And so the numbers for November are going to show that uh, one fund was particularly long interest rate markets and did really well. Everyone would have some degree of it. It's you might be three and a half, you might have a benchmark that's five years for your. Um, what you, that you have to match in the duration, which is your interest rate sensitivity, and you might be five and a quarter years, you might be four and three quarter years. For half the month, it worked to be five and three quarters. So, so how do they balance that in in, they in buy the, longer in terms bonds? Of the invest, they buy investments. some more thirty yeah. years or more ten years, and less of the two or three years. So you sell twos and you get sell twos and buy ten. So that's okay. actually called yeah, yeah. a curve flattener because the shape of the yield curve goes. Ladder. I'm using my hands here, which is not much use That's on a radio. If, if, if enough people do it. Yeah, if yeah, enough yeah. people do it. That's now right. that, And then, of course, in this sell-off we've seen in the last three days, the yield curve has steepened very sharply, and I think the price action showed that um, more people were on the flattener than not. And to your question about the punters in the market, so, how so, do you yeah. – so, so you mean people are were more positioned for the flattener? Yes, uh, i.e. that longer rate bonds, longer tenor bonds would perform, outperform shorter tenor bonds. Yeah, so so there was more demand all of a sudden or, – so there was more selling at so the you, longer end. Yeah. So you've um, got to get out of that. Right. Yeah, that was a harder one to get out of. And the punters that – and it was a harder one to get out of. Why was so, it a harder so one to get out of? There are a few buyers the longer you are out, out on the curve. Yep. And so liquidity, fewer. same as so stocks. Same, same stocks, stocks yeah. Yep. Yep. And also uh, <laughs> when everyone's trying to get through the same door. That's all right. We've got, we got, we got there's, so, there's, there's compliance points here. There's, and, it's amazing. And then why are they selling the longer data bonds? Because their sensitivity to a reflation view or a uh, positioning unwind means that that's the part of the curve that they say, well, we've them. got to get out of it. So now, they don't have to get out of it, but their performance as the curve steepens 20, 30 basis points in their face means they're going to reassess exactly. their view very quickly <laughs> and the punters in the market yeah. who drive that price action, yeah. who are probably a bigger factor yeah. through things like futures contracts, mm. can really um, set the price of the market. Right. So, so okay. if, if, there's re- if there's real money... Yep. Right. Uh, versus speculative money. Right. Like, so let's do, go back to real money. So pension funds, etc. Yes. Right. They see the value of their bonds dropping. Now, do in your experience, do they go in at that point and see the value of those bonds dropping with the yield steepening? Right. And there's the combination of that return that you mentioned that they have to calculate. Do, would the real money? 
decide to sell at that point? Or is it more the speculative money, which is long the total return of, 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 um, of, of long-dated bonds? So real money basically refers to uh, investors who have cash that they invest in, in markets. They don't borrow money. Speculative or leveraged money means that you can get an outside return, outsized return, being long or short a market, whatever that asset class is. And borrowing against that position. And you're borrowing against it. So you have a larger uh, exposure if things go wrong or, or right. You can you know, look at both sides. And when things go wrong, you're, f- you're a forced seller or a forced buyer. And their price action would drive some behavioural change from real money. Most of the real money would not have suddenly sold and said, oh, the curve's steep and so much, we're, we've got to get out of the market right now. They possibly would trim positions and reassess and say, we didn't think this would happen. We might buy some more up here. We might actually trim a bit of our position. So what do we know about leverage bets in the long end of the bond market? So the only information you can get there, uh, unfortunately, is what the US Commodity Futures Trading Commission publishes one week in arrears called the CFTC, shows the net speculative longs and shorts across contracts. And they were showing that uh, you'd you'd had some reasonably long positioning from the speculators. And that says the market is long, i.e. looking for lower interest rates, and the sensitivity was skewed towards 10 or 30-year futures contracts. Gives you a proxy for what the cash market was doing, but it doesn't mean that they behave in the same way. So if anybody's wondering, you can always get that. That report is publicly available. Yeah, that's uh, right. It comes out on uh, Friday. It comes out on Friday nights, Saturday morning for, for Aussies. And uh, oddly enough, it only runs to the prior Tuesday. Tuesday's the cutoff. I mean, somewhat apt if you ask me, but, yeah, that, that's a different story. Um, I know, that's okay. <laughs> now, can, can you get a question then? I've got to, uh, I've, I've got to ask a question for my, for, my, for my guys. Last one, I suppose you know, leveraging off this macro side of things. Uh, have you noticed, I suppose, in the last couple of years, let's say, Marty, that real money, by virtue of the environment globally and, and returns and whatever else that we're seeing across asset classes, some of them are beginning to behave uh, more like leveraged accounts. So they, they become a bit more punter-esque rather than sitting on their hands. Yes, and you see that because uh, yield curves are a lot flatter and there are – yields are lower. There are a lot lot fewer opportunities to – a lot less opportunities – I beg your pardon – a lot less opportunities to – uh, to just simply make the carry and roll down, which is just owning the bond, assuming mm. it stays in the same place and getting the interest rate differential as the bond comes closer to maturity. And so what you've seen as an example of that is when the allocations for – or when, when a new bond is being issued, and we've seen four new bonds issued by the Australian government in the last um, two and a half months, the participation from investors has – been mammoth uh, you know we've never seen demand like this before and it's because and you look at it and say but the most they can make is maybe three or four basis points as a difference relative to the two bonds around that point on the curve and yet they'll pile in do as much of that as they can in the way that leverage would do it and if we for a bit of an economic history lesson go back to 1997 98 long-term capital management 
did exactly this trade. Yes. They they would uh, scrutinise the very micro uh, differences between a June, July and August bond and say, well, the mm. July is two basis points cheap of the June and the August. We'll buy the July. Well, and we know what happened there. We know what happened there. Off we yeah, go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, so the, they blew up. Well, the problem was for, that every for, bank had the same trade on. Yeah, for, yeah. for, 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 <laughs> the, for, for the new investors. Who are for the there, new guys. Long-term capital management, uh, just Google it. Um, it was more short-term. <laughs> yeah, 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 it was okay. But, uh, but with, with, with LTCM, also, they were going through a whole bunch of different custodians and settlement providers as well, and that, 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 that really confused it too. I'm an ops guy. I'm an ops guy, and and that's what we. Were. Yeah, they, they they were just they were just on the wrong side of a trade that when it unwound blew everyone, including them up. I mean, the, the, who got their money in the end is a different story, but it was a, it was the mother of all blow ups. But anyway, here we are. I do want to point out one thing though, with these. Um, so when when the RBA does an auction, right? There are specified uh, AFM. Sorry, sorry, AOFM, AOFM. When they do an auction there for Australian government bonds, there are a specific number of institutions that are able to buy those. Right? Yes. So it's like JPM, uh, uh, you guys. Um, yeah, other, other, four others. major banks, Macquarie, uh, Mizuho, Nomura, um, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs. Um, about, uh, I think about 14. Yeah, so so you can't just banks. rock up with a billion dollars and say, I want to buy that. No. Right? So, Not right, with that so, attitude, Paul. Like, yeah, yeah, right. So I want to buy a whole... But if you haven't, we can talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someone yeah. will someone <laughs> will find you. Yeah, Don't yeah. worry about that, Paul. Right, right, right. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk after the show. <laughs> um, you know, yes, uh, as mentioned, uh, Martin is, you know, head of fixed income strategy at the Commonwealth Bank. Moving uh, on. So... Um, but the the rates that um, that list of designated uh, uh, what are they called? Is there uh, a term primary called? dealers. Uh, primary dealers. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So so the primary dealers can get these rates on it, right? On these things, and the issue is then how that washes out in terms of the. I think what's really fascinating to ordinary person out there is like how the rates that the primary dealers get on a bond, right, get, first of all, transferred into the real economy, yep. but then also how that bond then gets traded on the market, on the secondary market, which is where the RBA is buying the bonds. Yeah, sure. Right. Okay. So it's, it's effectively looking at um, the path of a dollar. So the AOFM issues the money, uh, issues the debt, and the, and the banks have to bid for it. And it's a competitive auction for it. They take their, their share, um, might be uh, you know a few percent, five, six, ten percent each, depending on how what your risk appetite is, and they will buy that for themselves. Partly, not that much anymore. There's not as much of the bank owning the bonds, um, but then they'll buy it on behalf of customers that they on sell. Now they on sell it at pretty much the same price or the same yield. It's a very competitive market now. So, um, you know, whereas in times before you could have made half a basis point which is it's very little but it, it means a lot when you're talking about half a billion or a billion dollars of bonds to yeah. an institution that has a cash flow in needs those bonds takes them off the bank so then those that institution abc fund manager owns those bonds holds them in the portfolio if there is outsized demand for those bonds i.e more people want to buy them and the AOFM is uh, looking to sell, so uh, $8 billion of interest and $2 billion sold, 
that can typically pull the bond yield lower short term. By how many basis points on a typical? One or two basis points and it'll be all relative to the bonds around it. But the more buying there is relative to the amount supplied, it should lower the yield structure. So if you think about it in terms of what is the process right now, the RBA is buying uh, $4 billion of government bonds per week, $1 billion of semi-government, which is state government bonds per week, so $5 billion of debt issuance uh, of, of debt purchases. But let's talk about the four only from the government. The government is issuing between three and three and three-quarter billion per week. Just say that again. The government is issuing... The government, the government in Australia, the AOFM, is issuing about three to $3.75 billion per week on the current run rate of what they need to do by the end of this financial year. So there is a net purchaser of the RBA buying versus the AOFM selling the bonds, as well as what the market is buying from the banks, from the fund managers, from central banks, etc., who are also buying debt uh, around the world and they have, they have interest in the market. So it should, all things being equal, pull yields lower. Now, of course, what happened in the last 48 hours means doesn't really matter because everyone's gone the other way on the trade. But broadly, that's how it works. Yeah, okay. So I've got, I've got okay, my last question, and, and thank you, Ken. I reckon you've run a, an amazing thing. This is going to be the last question. Maybe we might have a couple of uh, the, 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 tw- uh, the Twitter questions that will come in. But my last question, and this is one that – so watching the FT Global Boardroom last night, Justin Trudeau, uh, you know, it's always nice to see the Canadian Prime Minister, you know, just, just doing his thing with his – you know, he's, he's a lovely guy to watch, very easy on the eye, very casual, uh, and doing his thing. And he, and, and he said the same thing that I've said to clients, that the, the, the presidents and prime ministers all over the world have said, which is it's fine, it's going to be a piece of cake to pay this back. We can <laughs> – we can we could borrow as much as we want to pay for the COVID because at the rate that we're going to pay it back, it's like nothing. My clients are asking me, and I've sort of you know, I've sort of said, okay, but who's actually who who's actually on the other side of that? You are. Your pension money. Your pension money is invested to some degree in, in in bonds. So bonds, but then banks. Banks, not as in the trading desks of a bank who facilitate client flow, but the bank has to hold liquid assets, government bonds, against their uh, for regulatory capital. So if you want to find a buyer, you regulate and you make them buy. You know, what happened in the last crisis, as in, well, second last crisis, because I think 2012 was a crisis too in Europe, yeah. but in the 07, 08, 09 crisis, a whole lot of bond, government bond was issued and the banks were told, well, you've got to buy this stuff. And so the banks now own it and the banks hold it because it's a – it's a liquid asset that can be converted to cash at any one time. So there's always a buyer. And it's not like the famous view of Maggie Thatcher's um, – You run out of other people's money. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just not that way. Yeah. And, yes, the interest rates are lower, so the cost of servicing that debt's extremely low. Um, do we pay that back? No, but we don't need to. It's, it's, a, it's a bit of a fallacy. And That's I know what... this is the Stephanie Kelton view of the world and I think a lot of what she says is, is pretty bang on. Um, yeah, it doesn't always work, especially right now when you know when you think about the cost of that money versus the growth rate, and the growth rate is lower. But in the end, growth will pick back up. So you growth over a long period of time, as long as that's higher than the cost of the money, it should work. Yeah. So, so can if I can jump in, um, can I just go to some Twitter questions? Sure. Um, uh, I, I can. Ken, um, 
all the way from Amsterdam. I can hear your eyes rolling at the Twitter questions. Um, but the, this is I, a, I don't know. I, I, I don't log on, man. I, I mean, <laughs> see you on Twitter. See you on Twitter. There was a Okay, so we're going to go through a few. Uh, a few uh, there are there are some very good ones. This is going to um, be great. Uh, okay. And this is so interesting. Uh, it's from Alex Joyner, who's um, the chief economist at IFM Investors, right, which is a big fund. Well, no, very nice uh, man. And he's a very nice man, a very smart economist, right? And uh, his question is that upper. Uh, the, um, APRA, which is the, 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 the banking regulator in Australia, it designates fixed income as a defensive ad- asset class. And how much more defensive can it get in a world of zero uh, interest rate policies and seemingly limitless QE, right? So let's start with that. There's a follow-up, but... Uh, well, the fallacy of it being a defensive asset class or, you know, can be on, on occasions an asset class you buy when you're worried about the returns of, um, well, when you're worried about the equity market and, and I guess the global economy. Um, and that asset class obviously hurts in that period and safety of bonds where you're getting your money back at the end, particularly when it's from a government issuer. But um, when the lower yields go, the more interest rate sensitivity bonds have and if they sudden, if everyone is owning bonds at the lowest point in their history, and let's not call the end of the bond market just yet, uh, <laughs> you have a you have <laughs> a cute, you have a um, <laughs> uh, you have a distribution curve that is very much skewed towards yields could go higher and the prices therefore lower. You could lose a lot of money. So it's not that defensive. It's so, defensive so, when it's held by a bank for so, regulatory reasons. So I look at I looked at the twelve um, month chart for. The ten-year um, US and mm-hmm. the uh, and the Aussie, yep. um, they're very similar. Similar, yes. Um, uh, so there was a little bit of a rise leading into uh, the start of the year, mm-hmm. um, going up to one percent. It absolutely collapsed. Went to um, fifty basis points. In fact, the last time we were yeah. talking was about it was around about fifty or sixty basis yeah. points, and now it's back at about one. So. This isn't, you know, like a, it's not like a bond, uh, buying a bond is not a victimless victimless crime, right? So, you know, um, uh, it's the not coupons the, you're getting, the interest rate payments you're getting along the way, yeah. do not compensate for those price moves. No, they do not. And that's yeah. why it's it, not necessarily defensive, particularly if it's like a, you know, a hundred billion, or that you yeah. you know, you're a pension fund and you've bought a hundred billion yep. in ten years. Um, okay, so the other question that Alex had was like. What if all this stimulus actually works, right? So, do you get risk-free returns, or do you get return-free risk? You get return-free risk. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know that can be, that can be pretty punishing when we've and if we go back four years to the last election cycle when yields were near their lows, as it were, and they rallied uh, or they they pushed up by. Um, uh, it's about 160 basis points, and it was, if I rem- if I recall, it was 802 days before they came back to that level. So it was a very long period where you would be underperforming as a fund manager, uh, owning bonds against that. It was, it was a three-hour cruise, and you all ended up in bank holes. Yeah, that's I've not heard that before. Oh, everything that, that is that's some very good chat over there from you over there, KV. Nice work. Right, next question. Um, okay, next question. Uh, so so um, Tim Kelly, um, who um, 
uh, I think we've all know, uh, he's a genuine fixed income buyer. Uh, he's on the buy side. Um, right, so um, with the RBA QE and Pfizer's vaccine uh, news being announced a week apart, first question, was the RBA too late to the QE party? Oh, gee. Uh, no. Um, they were doing what at the time, and obviously there was a, a process of thought within the RBA to, to do what they were doing. Um, had they have not done it and they'd signalled along the way that they were going to do it, you would arguably say... Yeah, over about dollar, 12 months or something. Yeah, yeah, the Aussie dollar would be a lot higher. Um, and that would be a, a crimp to the export side. Not that there's any students or tourists coming to Australia anymore anyway, but... Um, just, I guess, on Aussie dollar exports. Uh, late to the QE party, I don't think they ever wanted to go there. Um, mm. And so they've almost been forced there. And Guy Bell did a speech about it, if I recall, December 19, where he said we'd be looking at what other central banks around the world are doing. And because the others are expanding their balance sheets, it was probably for them just a case of they have to follow the herd. Uh, Heath Moss. Um, G'day, uh, Heath. Hi, Heath. Um, you'll sometimes see on Ausbiz. He's a good uh, mate of mine. Yeah, he's, he's a good right. guy. Uh, yeah. So um, uh, his question, which I think is very relevant after this week, um, so he's at, uh, Heath is at Heath is at uh, HLM Investments, um, and his question is, with rising US yields, uh, when does the Fed cap it, um, uh, uh, and how would they do it? So... The, the more yields rise, obviously there is a tightening in financial conditions for the US. Uh, at the same time, that as the dollar falls, they are helping themselves on their export front. So it's, uh, you know, it is useful in that respect. Uh, you'd imagine simply that the, uh, the Fed would maybe buy a little bit more if they chose to, uh, or they would give some soothing words around forward guidance, which just says we're not hiking until we meet these preconditions, which is what they've already said in terms of inflation and unemployment. Uh, and it goes back to Alex's question a little bit of what if this catches on. If it does catch on, then it's actually not a bad thing because ultimately you'd like all economies to be humming along quite well and you can still pay that debt back. So um, pay it down. So, 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 Scotty, my former uh, co-host. Um, who G'day, now, David. Uh, hi, David. Uh, who's doing now a fantastic job over He's at... killing um, it. Oh, Ausbiz. Yeah, um, uh, the most terrifying uh, interview in Australian uh, financial uh, media, I reckon. Um, and also the most fun. Yeah. Um, uh, so Let's not get into his, his looks here. I mean, go easy on the bloke. He's a good bloke. He's a good bloke. So, 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 so it, he had this quite the first thing he he said, which was actually a really good question. Which is, what's the thing most people get wrong when it comes to understanding yields and bonds? And we all had a pretty good chuckle. Um, sorry, to understanding bonds, we all had a pretty good chuckle about it uh, because. Price and yield. Price and yield. Price and yield. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so let's not go there. But he 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 did follow up very well on that um, by saying, like, what's the second on the list of bond market misunderstandings? It's probably that split between whether they're a defensive asset or not, because they can be a very attractive asset to make good returns, and then really it would be also the yield on the bond versus its uh, return. So a low yield doesn't necessarily mean it makes 
low returns because if it rallies, if the bond price goes up, yields fall, just to clarify that one again. We're all going to get that right. You you can make a lot of money and that's the benefit of something called convexity, which is your interest rate sensitivity. So that was the – Here it is. Here it is. Okay, so That was the phrase that pays, kids. Phrase that pays. Okay, so bond (laughs) convexity. (laughs) So you can be long convexity or short convexity. You can. Uh, So um, explain um, the convexity – Convexity is interest rate sensitivity and uh, so the longer the uh, tenor of the bond or a swap because that's also an interest rate instrument, the higher value it is per point that it moves. One basis point in a two-year is not worth very much. One basis point in a 30-year is worth a lot. Mm. And that really plays out when you have – in in a bad way for bond fund managers as yields rise because you typically have a long convexity position – and as yields rise, you are more punished for the longer bonds that you own. So your portfolio loses more as interest rates go right. up. Right, because so it magnifies. If I, if I, if magnifies. Uh, yeah, it magnifies that basis point. If I'm, if I'm the, um, like a pension fund and I've decided I think things are going to be bad for quite a while and I start buying Swiss 50-year bonds or something... Swiss government. Aus- or Austrian hundreds. Austrian, Austrian hundreds, mate. I've got a couple <laughs> yeah. of Austrian hundreds yeah, yeah, yeah. in the portfolio. Don't worry so, about that. so here's a simple way of saying it. Yeah, come on. If you think interest rates are going to rise by 25 basis points from an RBA hike, you can buy the two-year – and you have two-year bonds. For each basis point it goes up, it's worth about $250 per million. If you have 10-year bonds, it's worth about $1,000 per million. If you have the 30-year bond, it's worth about $1,300, $1,400 per million. That's right. That's so if, they, if they're in a parallel shift higher in the yield curve, you'd get really punished for your 10- and 30-year position. So I'm just on the Austrian year bond, I saw well, – Or the Hanji. Yeah, um, was it the Austrian uh, Austrian, Austrian one hundred year. year. Yeah. I saw uh, a guy from um, who was head of fixed income strategy at JP Morgan give a presentation a few years ago in London, and the guy managed half a trillion. Yeah. Um, so um, and, and it was really fun. Uh, right. He was a really good presenter. He was quite funny. Uh, he, um, he, I did an interview with him, a very interesting guy. Um, but one of the things he started off his presentation with was Austria just issued a 100-year bond. Now, I don't know about you, but I do think that Austria 100 years ago <laughs> has <laughs> had quite a few changes uh, in terms of how a government its government looks. It's the way of the world now, uh, my friend. So, it's the way of the world. Um, it's okay. But I think, yeah, I know. Um, so um, it also has a 0% coupon, I think. The 100-year bond? Yeah, from memory. I've got to check my notes on coupon again. Really? Yeah. Well, when, when there are a couple of issues? Uh, well, there was, one, a, was one in 2016 and there was one in 2019. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think the original paid something and the, the follow-up was Maybe a 0% coupon, which... Which is unheard but, of. But today. it goes back to that question of the interest rate uh, payments that the coupons you're getting hardly pay for the. Uh, mm. uh, exactly. So what's the point? So, okay, we've done, okay, we've done, Paul, we've done convexity, we've done the Austrian hunjis. There's, a, there's a currency it. swap okay. question. Um, right. So, uh, and this is from Nick Mucci, uh, yes. who I have never come across. But, G'day, Nick. Um, he's he's, a, he's a, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's probably happy about that. Long time listener, first time. Whatever. First time question submitter to Martin Wetton on the video. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. If uh, reflation expectations keep building in the US, which they are, steepening the curve, mm-hmm. which they are, will this, this week, 
um, will Phil Lowe's QE be sufficient to keep Aussie yields and the Australian dollar in check? So I suppose what he's asking is um, will if the if the inflation the reflation story keeps building globally is a hundred billion sort of QE package enough to like weigh on the long end of the curve to 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 in to, a relative sense so it doesn't matter about the absolute because what Phil Lowe was talking about at the time his speech was our bonds yield relatively more than others and if we make our bonds less attractive he doesn't doesn't they don't have to be at a certain level the yield curve control is the three-year part of the curve and he wants to keep that where it is. That's for domestic borrowers. If well, that's the 10-year te- goes part of policy, higher, right? that's okay as long as it's not going higher than the US rates. And that's and $100 billion would be enough because that goes just to the maths of they buy $4 billion per week. The AOFM issues between 3 and 3 and 3.75 per week. And so there's a net, negative, net uh, reduction of bonds in the market. It should... All things lower. If our inflation expectations rose, if our consumer confidence jumps up again, if we start to see house prices jump pretty sharply, then perhaps uh, that would present some difficulties. Uh, it may uh, mean that they'd the, have to do more. The strengthening of the Aussie dollar, which has been that's one of the shocks. That's something you can't really control unless you come in and actually intervene in the currency and that's not. On They're the, not going on to the cards. Don't start that conversation. That's a whole new podcast. <laughs> um, okay, uh, uh, Kit Lowe, uh, who is a friend of the show, um, uh, G'day, Kit. Ha- has a very uh, uh, funny question. And, and might, might I add, I, I know Kit personally, and uh, he's also one of the probably the best, uh, what used to be known as the locals back when the when the floor existed, and since then he's well, he's still a local, just in a different. He's probably one of the best punters. Uh, in that space that I've, I've ever met. So get out, Kit, if you're listening. No, he's a, he's a good bloke, Kit. Got a lot of time for him. There's about there's about three other people on the planet I can say that for. But anyway. If I can just put it this way, I've known Ken for quite some time now and I have never heard him speak that's like first, that about anybody. It's the first compliment um, I've ever heard him give. Right, what's, so, it, what's Kit's question? Hit so so um, he, he he just had a throwaway comment saying, uh, I heard coupons are like dividends for sophisticated investors. That's what they are. That's what they are. The name escapes me, but there's a Christopher, something with a J is a surname. I, I, I think he was, the, he was, he was a big... Uh, proponent of that theory, wasn't it? Coupons are, are divvies for sophisticated investors. Never mind, moving on. Wolverine, something? Um, it's, uh, it's the best way of describing it. I, like it uh, anyway, go on. I've got one last one, um, which I'm sure you'll be happy to indulge um, because you mentioned uh, Stephanie Kelton earlier on mm. when Scotty asked, uh, what's the um, thing most people get wrong when it comes to understanding bonds? And Josh Nicholas, uh, who's... Um, a journalist uh, at The Guardian now um, and uh, uh, all-round uh, good guy. He's top um, line. G'day, Josh. He is, uh, he is good. Um, and his his answer to this, like one of the things that most people get wrong about it is that bonds exist. Um, Ooh, so, which leads us into a rabbit hole. Right now, it's where we are well over um, the time that we allotted to this. I've got to get to my pack um, again, Paul. Come on. But 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 let's go. Let's go back to this thing of. This question of uh, what Kelton calls in, in in the deficit myth the difference between green yellow green dollars and, and yellow dollars that there's there's um, the debt 
government debt is a, is just a dollar in a different form. Yeah. Right. And uh, that actually they could pay for whatever they need to. So currently they borrow to pay for some of their things. Yes. And part and of the other issue is just why don't you just why don't you just issue the dollars to pay for the things? Um, which is part of and and he's being clever and being kind of provocative and fun on there. And I think this is a really interesting intellectual conversation um, that is being had in a lot of places at the moment. Um, so you well, do they exist it. when a government issues and a central bank buys because it's one hand paying the other? And you know the RBA will uh, own uh, you know uh, what is it sixty billion of bonds at the moment up to one hundred and sixty billion at some point, and they get the coupons from those bonds, those interest payments, and they will pay those back to whom? They'll pay those back to the government. So it is very circular. So, so you other, might say, to, oh... To other governments or to, to pension no, funds? No, to, the, to the Australian government. Who's the issue. Yeah, They're okay, buying the Australian okay, government's okay. debt. They're doing it via the market, not directly, even if they were. It really wouldn't make a difference in the chain because the government, the RBA would be... or the government would be paying the RBA uh, interest on that and the RBA then pays a dividend of that interest back to the government. When it comes – so you could ask – you could say do they exist in that form because it's just one arm borrowing from the other. But in the case of a bond investor, a real money investor, a hedge fund, um, a bank owning it for regulatory purposes, absolutely they do exist and there are, you know, yield points – the points on the yield curve, there are duration plays, there are spread plays within state government versus government – and all of those things do matter. Marty, thank you for all of that. Uh, Ken, do you have any last questions? No, I'm good. I'm golden. Okay. Look, everybody, uh, listeners, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Rate us, leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on iTunes at The Bip Show. We're on Twitter. It's at the underscore Bip underscore show. And we're on Facebook too. Just search The Bip Show. We're all there individually at Colgo, at James Willen 42 and at Martin underscore Wetton. Don't forget to hit subscribe, rate the review. We love those five-star ratings. Thanks, everybody. Um, the show's produced by Eamon Connolly and Rick Salter. We'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.